Hello, and welcome to the RPG PodQuest. It's a show that's not just about RPGs, but also is an RPG as well. I am your host, Evan. And I'm your other host, Will. And we are coming at you, as promised, uh, last episode with a nice negative Nancy one. Uh, But before we get into that, we are going to talk a little bit about some things that we've been playing. And I also wanted to start this episode with a very specific correction. Last episode, I was talking about how there were all these great European RPGs, maybe even on the SNES, that had been uh, developed with Japanese uh, sensibilities in mind. As it turns out, that's not really the case, but there was one game that I wanted to point out in particular. I forgot what it was last episode. I'm telling you now, it's Secret of Evermore, a game that I really do want to play at some point. Uh, Will, have you ever heard of or played this yourself? I've heard of it and seen a, a little bit of gameplay, but I have not played it myself. Right. I think last week when we were kind of figuring out that this was the game I was talking about, you mentioned it was similar uh, in footage to Secret of Mana. Um, that's what I'm thinking, but I don't know exactly. Like, I wasn't super clear on how the gameplay actually works. Like, it looks kind of complicated and very different. Well, then maybe it only looks like Secret of Mana, but plays completely differently. Either way, that might be something we cover in the future on the show. But let's transition from that right into what we've been playing. So, Will, how have you been and what have you been up to? I've been pretty good and I've I felt kind of fragmented lately in terms of life and gaming. And maybe gaming is a reflection of life. I don't know. But... Uh, I went through a phase where I was just struggling to find a game that I wanted to play. Um, and long story short, I eventually ended up settling on East 8 as like the game that just felt right. And so I've been playing some more of that and enjoying it. Uh, but I talked about that on the show before, so I don't really want to spend a lot of time on that today. But I did play and some... Oh, sorry, go ahead. From what I understand, you've been kind of soul-searching for a new game because... Not long after we recorded our last podcast, you did actually beat uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, right? Oh, that's right. I almost forgot that uh, we hadn't talked about that yet because it feels like so long ago now. It was only a week ago. But yeah, I beat it like right after we recorded the episode or maybe it was the next day. Uh, But it was like within 24 hours of our last recording, I think. Before we get into anything new, did you have any final thoughts that you wanted to give on that? Um, honestly, not really, other than it just felt like a lot of a mixed bag in terms of like the archaic pieces of it versus the things that really hold up. And overall, I still came out with a positive impression, and I'm glad that I played it because it feels like something different and unique and cool. Um, So even though it got tedious at times, I really enjoyed it, and I'm glad I played it. Well, I'm glad to hear that as well. So with Nocturne out of the way, with East 8 being something that maybe we want to hold off for another episode. What else have you been playing? Yeah, so then I I think everything else I played was on Game Pass. Yeah, so I renewed Game Pass when I was in this, like, uh, what do I play? Oh, no, now I have so many options, too many options. Uh, so I just tried out a few things that I'd been curious about for a long time. The first one I tried was Library of Ruina, which is uh, from a South Korean developer, And it's just a really unique, different kind of take on kind of a card-based game. 
and it's really weird and obtuse and i i loved the aesthetic of the library and it seemed really cool but i honestly didn't play much of it at all because i got into the first well actually the the menus were my biggest challenge i could not figure out how to get the game going because you have to like click with the top buttons to navigate through menus and then like i don't know there was just a lot of steps to initiate a battle and get started on the quest and i just couldn't figure out how to get there and then i got there and like a billion pages of text popped up with instructions and i read through a couple and then i started skimming them and i was like i'll figure it out once it gets started then the battle started and i did not figure it out i should have read the pages but it, i just wasn't into it and i think there's a lot there and it seems like a cool game so i'd be really curious to hear if um have you played this evan i have not and apparently this developer released another game that is very similar structurally to a library of ruina and people have been asking whether they would port one game or the other to consoles because you did not play this on consoles if i'm correct uh, I played this on Xbox Game Pass. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, then, sorry, uh, I stand corrected. Uh, maybe they just have no intention of porting this to Switch, but that would probably be the reason why I've never heard of it yeah. or played it. Um, but, you know, to echo some of your thoughts and to really just touch on a game that I don't really want to talk all that much about today because I haven't given it a fair shake myself. This is a problem that I've had with a, a game that I just recently tried to pick up called One Deck Dungeon, which is like massive amounts of tutorialization very, very early on in the game and kind of an overwhelming amount of, of information that makes you almost not want to play the game. So that's, that's kind of the impression that I'm getting from you. But what other details did you want to talk about regarding the game? Um, that's all I just wanted to to say that it exists I thought it would be cool it wasn't for me but I'd be really curious to hear other people's impressions if any listeners have tried it I'd be really curious to hear what what you think um, and I want to kind of keep my eye on it and maybe watch some gameplay on YouTube or something to see you know what this game is all about so just a curiosity kind of but uh, then I I played a little bit of Children of Morta because I've heard a lot of great things about that have you played that one, Evan? I have indeed. And mm -hmm. I've I've played a pretty substantial amount of this game. And so I'm really curious to hear maybe some of your first impressions. But a lot of people I've heard compare this in some ways to Diablo, just with the kind of skill queuing and maybe also perspective. But mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of uh, of other roguelikes which is maybe going to be a little bit of the flavor of the week for us as we uh, start talking about some of my games but um, yeah I was just curious about uh, what you think of the progression systems because I find them pretty fascinating and what you think of the overall game design I have not gotten far so I will start with that um, but I, I really liked the visuals and the aesthetics of the world like there's some cool pixel art, but then there's also some really cool, smooth, like hand-drawn looking backgrounds. Um, so visually, I just found it really cool and pretty fun in terms of so far feeling kind of hack and slashy. 
though it feels like there's a little more nuance to the combat and it might get more complex as I go because I can already see like I started learning new skills and then there were more like the buttons start filling up as you learn new skills. So you're like, oh, now this button does something. Um, so that looked pretty interesting. So I'm, I'm yeah, just sorry, dipping my toes in the water, but haven't gotten very far into that one yet. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that I struggled with uh, with with that game in particular is that whenever you get new, I don't want to call them party members. They're really just playable characters. Mm-hmm you kind of have to start from square one with them again and again. And early on, you start with two characters who have very different play styles. I believe that's the Sword and Shield user and the Archer. Am I correct? Yeah, I have those two. Those are the only ones. Yeah, and so you kind of, you round out some of their basic skills pretty early on. And then as you get some more characters, you've got to catch them up. I think by mm. by running uh, through through dungeons again, and you know that really, I mean, ultimately, I I do think this this is a rogue light because uh, it 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 doesn't you do gain skills while you're in the dungeons themselves, but you do have this constant sense of of actual tangible progression in that you learn new skills and you actually even learn abilities that that benefit one another too which i think is really neat uh you you get these like sort of family skills but um yeah it's it's a a a fascinating game i i agree about the visuals i think the game is gorgeous and i don't know i i think maybe all of the art in the game is pixel art but i i might need to be corrected uh, about that i just think it might be at like different resolutions but uh, if it's not, I guess that would make sense because, uh, as you were saying, there really is some gorgeous environmental art here that that really kind of does feel almost hand drawn. Um, and there is this other semi unique element uh, to the game, which is the narration. I think is really strong as well. Uh, it's something the the narration in I want to say Bastion is a little bit more well. It, it occurs in reaction. It's uh, the, the narration in Bastion is reactionary. Gotcha. Um, while this is more just kind of punctuating storytelling moments with this great, really strong narration. <laughs> this narration that is uh, cute, cutesy in a way, like, you know, the, these characters, when they get certain weapons, they feel like an extension of their arm and, lovely fantasy tropes like that but uh the overall gameplay maintains itself i think as you get new characters and learn new skills but i don't think it's anything all that special and i think that comes down to maybe just not excellent roguelike design and Mm. i i have some qualms with roguelikes just in in general but uh i I do think this one suffers from that feeling uh towards the end gotcha i can see that how i could uh like it seems like a lot of things get kind of drawn out like you talked about having to kind of start over when you get a new character and learning new skills and those kind of things are kind of cool in the character themselves, but in terms of like an overall gameplay experience, it kind of drags things down and like throws off the pacing a bit. 
what I will say is I really do think this game is at its strongest when you're playing co-op. And while I don't know if they ever added the online co-op uh, function to the Switch version, I, I know it exists on at least PC, but if that would ever be something that you'd want to experiment with, because I really do think it it quickens, uh, it accelerates the pace of the, the game and the progression that you go through a great deal. Um, I think that is the most enjoyable version of this game. But of that course, you can really also fun. play local co-op too. Sorry. Yeah, that would be really fun. Yeah. Uh, so have you been playing anything else? Uh, the other game I wanted to talk about a little is Undertale, because that's one I've heard about a lot and been curious to try, and then it's on Game Pass, so why not? So I dove in, having yeah, no clue the, what to expect. That's the wonderful thing about Game Pass, right? Yeah. Uh, so. Always something sorry. new. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we'll get it is, uh, certainly. So, thoughts about Undertale? Yeah, um, it's not exactly what i expected but kind of what i expected because it's kind of like a modern take on a retro game it looks very retro it sounds very retro i love the music they've done like through the whole game i think you can see the the gameplay mechanics the visual design the gameplay design uh, that even the music all feels old school but with like a modern nuance where you you know this is a game of today, but it feels like it's in a package of an older game. And that was really interesting. I loved the music, actually. Um, I'm using past tense, but I'm not done with the game. I'm still playing it, so uh, I'm loving the music. Um, and just the game's kind of fun, cheeky humor. The combat system feels really interesting. Um, I was reading about the game online and I didn't realize that you can and it seems to be recommended to play without actually fighting anything but to just talk to things and make friends with enemies and monsters and things like that. I have been uh, killing them all. So I felt kind of bad about <laughs> that. Um, but I think the combat's really interesting because it feels almost like an action RPG even though it's like turn-based because there are a lot of button presses you have to do and then dodging enemy attacks you have to like move your little heart around and avoid like whatever kind of things they're shooting at you or trying to hit you with so it almost feels like you're you're in a more action based combat system even when you're just selecting attack and then you have to move around so i thought that was really interesting too um and then just little little details are really interesting and kind of funny that you wouldn't see in a game that looks like this, like in an older game. Like there was this moment towards the beginning where there was a puzzle where you have to move a rock and then the rock was started talking to me. And I was like, that's weird. And, and then the rock was like, here, I'll help you. And it just kept moving in the wrong direction over and over again, trying to be helpful. And then it eventually moved into the right place. And that was just different and quirky and pretty funny in a, in an interesting way and yeah the game just keeps doing things like that so i'm finding it charming and interesting and i'm curious to keep going so i'm not a person who ever believes that a fan base of a game should uh or should ever have the possibility of ruining an, an experience for you um you know i i know a lot of people who are fans of this game are, are very avid and outspoken 
and it's not that their fandom has pushed me away from from playing this game but i also tend to be the kind of person who wants to experience things in as objective an environment as i possibly can Mm -hmm. so for example i've really put off uh or avoided playing games like celeste and more recently hades for a while Um, i i only just recently picked up celeste and i haven't played it at all but i will probably do the same once the kind of frenzy behind hades has died down because i want to experience and kind of be surprised by a game in a lot of ways myself so i have not played undertale but a lot of the things that you're talking about i think aesthetically uh, definitely comes from toby fox's input i don't know how much really of this game that he was involved with i I don't know if there was uh, other team members working with him on this product but i do know that he contributed a lot to its design and its writing and its music and everything Uh, you know he has become quite an esteemed composer Uh, he's worked on uh, a a game freak game actually uh, after this called little town hero which i have some thoughts about but you know, I, I think all of these elements kind of convalescing and working together really well is is the, the unified vision of a creative individual. And I always love seeing games like that. Um, there are a couple of other examples I could think of, uh, although not in the RPG genre. But uh, I, I think that the overall result is something that's that's very special. And I remember at one point, kind of thinking to myself like you know it would be cool if there was a game where when whenever you tried to attack you had to like complete a wario where mm-hmm. little like game in order to make sure that your your game was successful and then someone i i know i had put this op- opinion out there on social media and someone had been like oh you mean like undertale and i was like oh okay i didn't know that this was that kind of game so that's definitely piqued my curiosity and i'm glad to hear that you're having a really positive reaction to it because i know that toxicity online can be a thing and uh, there are a lot of people who are outspoken about their dislike of this game's fan base and i think that's a really sad thing um but maybe they're just really passionate about this game because it's a really good game (laughs) <laughs> I hope so. And that's where I heard about it, actually. I, it's been kind of on my radar because, you know, it's it gets some buzz. You hear about it. And then I was streaming on Twitch last week, maybe, and someone popped in and was just talking about their favorite games. And this came up as one of their favorite games. And I was like, wow, I didn't I realized it was popular and people were liking it, but I didn't realize it was that good. So I was like, OK, let's check this out. So it does have a big, very supportive fan base. I think that Undertale succeeds in being something that, you know, some people would probably call their favorite game because of, again, that united sort of creative vision. Um, And I also just think that there aren't a lot of other games like it out there Mm -hmm. that are doing the same things that it's doing. I mean, you do have retro, uh, oh, sorry. You do have retro games uh, and you do have games that, you know, some people like to say that 
Undertale is a an homage to Earthbound uh, in in a lot of ways. Um, but I I do agree that when a when a game really stands out uh, in terms of its design in a lot of ways, it cements itself in your mind. And I know one game that I played just this year that again, unfortunately, isn't an RPG, but is now what I would consider to be one of my favorite games ever, uh, was Anodyne 2, Return to Dust. And I think it is that way because I've never really played anything else like it before. And I think that's always a really cool and special thing to experience. That's really exciting. Yeah. Which I would also recommend if you ever have some non-RPG time. Uh, Anodyne 2 is an excellent game. Amazing. I'll add that to my non-RPG list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that wraps up kind of what I've been playing and wanted to talk about today. What have you been playing, Evan? So I did just, you know, want to mention again, One Deck Dungeon. I attempted to play it and it was really hard uh, to get into and get behind when, when you say like pages and pages of text and status abilities and encounter rules and such that's what I was experiencing and I think sometimes I do take for granted how a lot of games organically teach you their mechanics Mm -hmm. uh, because that's really not the case with one deck dungeon but on the other side of the spectrum you know I was playing through uh, or I started playing through Cthulhu Saves Christmas and so much of the design was familiar in the DNA of other Zaboid games that I kind of felt like, all right, I don't really need this extended tutorial, which wasn't as bad as One Deck Dungeon, but it still was kind of hitting me over the head with things. And so, I mean, I think we all need to remember sometimes that a game can be someone's first game uh, in a series, and that's that can have some positives, and it can also have some negatives, especially when this new game in a series or this new game from a certain developer is introducing a whole new set of ideas. Um, But I think sometimes developers do themselves a disservice with over explaining uh, some concepts or they kind of shoot themselves in the foot by making their explanation overly convoluted. So to kind of go on a tangent for just a second, that game that I was referencing earlier, Little Town Hero, which Toby Fox composed the music for, uh, was a 3D RPG developed by Game Freak uh, for the Switch. I think it's a Switch exclusive, actually. And that's a deck-building game. It's a, it's a deck-building... Well, actually, that's not entirely true. It's a card-battling game, because you don't get to build your deck, unfortunately, which I think is one of the most irritating parts of it, is that there are all these hints at being able to play as different characters and have different abilities, but you can only play as one character. Hmm, that's disappointing. Yeah, but the other disappointing thing is that the tutorial for the game is very, very extended, and... When I first played through the tutorial, I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. (laughs) That's the worst. Yeah, it was really frustrating. And luckily, um, (laughs) I 
I was doing video capture uh, of the game for Switch RPG at the time because we were reviewing it. We were one of the first people who would be reviewing the game. And the the card capture um, or the, the, sorry, not the card capture. I'm thinking of card captors, <laughs> the Saturday morning TV show. Um, no, the capture card was malfunctioning. So I needed to replay that section three times. Oh, no. Well, but as I played it again and again, I realized I was like, oh, this is a card battling game. But the developers had come up with all of these words for instead of using like card, they had the term is it. And when a card is in your hand, it's called an is it. And when it's on the field, it's called a does it. And Whoa. all these, yeah, all of these really terrible, terrible, uh, just nomenclature and i i realized that that really negatively impacted my first moments with the game because once everything clicked for me i I understood what was going on and Mm -hmm. i kind of enjoyed the game a little bit more um, but that's just one of the reasons that overall that game wasn't satisfying to me anyway (laughs) aside from one deck dungeon I played a little bit more of Wintermore Tactics Club, and I did want to clarify to the audience that Wintermore Tactics Club is, in fact, a tactics game. Oh, which is plot twist. Uh, you know, <laughs> as I as I had mentioned previously on this podcast, um, I I try to try to divide strategy and tactics into two very separate groups, and I like to think of tactics games as games where you aren't able to modify your units, or if you can, the modifications aren't necessarily level ups, um, which is different from a game like, for example, Fire Emblem, where when you attack enough with a character, they level up and their skills become better. So Wintermore Tactics Club, all of the characters that you can use, their stats can't really change, but you can equip different modifications modified abilities onto them so they can gain new skills but they can't improve them in any way and i think that actually adds to the uh, tactical sort of nuance of the game because you are constantly facing more powerful uh, enemies with kind of crazier abilities and you really need to look at your team composition and also think about the uh, abilities that you've unlocked for them and you need to say, all right, what can I equip to this character uh, in order to make this an effective skirmish? Now, you might say, Will, if you are a, an, an astute uh, player of tactics or strategy uh, games, you might say, well, equipping an ability sounds like making them stronger, Evan. So it why does. don't you just equi- <laughs> why don't you just equip multiple abilities to them? But that is, of course, where the tactical brilliance of this game really does shine through, is that you can only equip one tactical ability to them Mm. per skirmish, um, which really does... And I will say, all of the characters have a lot of tactical options, but they can only bring in one, and that really changes the way that you're going to play the game and makes it a whole lot more exciting. So I did just want to clarify that really quickly, and does that sound appealing to you at all, uh, Will? Or does that sound daunting? Any thoughts? 
Uh, it sounds pretty cool, honestly. I've heard a little bit about the game um, and hearing you talk about it again. It sounds it sounds pretty fun, um, and it's something that's definitely on my radar. Yeah, well, I, I think it's been really fun playing deeper into the game and understanding what it's all about, and sometimes these weekly updates can be really exciting for that reason, um, especially when we haven't fully grasped a game. Um, so really, I wanted to talk very briefly about two games that I have been playing because, again, this was a really busy week. A lot of crazy stuff happened. Uh, but I did manage to fit in some time to play a rogue light RPG called Azure Break Heroes. And I actually picked this up because it was dirt cheap on the eShop. Um, it was on sale and seemed to be kind of striking a couple of, of notes that I thought I would enjoy. So Azure Break Heroes is a roguelite RPG where you choose a character to play as and you start your quest. And although the environments can vary a little bit in design, you kind of follow the same path every single time, um, which isn't you know all that uh, different from uh, a lot of other roguelikes or roguelites, but with this game, there's a whole lot of predictability in these sorts of challenges that you're gonna encounter. But the kind of unique element of it is that every time you kill enemies or you destroy certain uh, parts of the environment, you're gaining this currency that you can use to upgrade, I guess, <laughs> to, uh, to upgrade the sorts of rewards that you can find in the dungeons that you're progressing through. So in sort of traditional roguelite uh, or even roguelike fashion, um, you are finding certain artifacts that you can equip to yourself. Um, and when you first start the game, you actually have a very limited number of artifacts that you can equip. But after your run is done, you kind of show up at this uh, corridor of time-ish place. If you've ever played Chrono Trigger, it's, it's sort of similar to that. Uh, and you can unlock more artifacts. So you kind of increase the amount of artifacts that you can uh, obtain whenever you do find one. And I should say that when you find an artifact in this game, it pulls up a list of all of the artifacts that you've unlocked, and you can choose from that list which ones you want. And the reason that that's really appealing to me is that like one of the offensive artifacts that you start with gives you plus two attack power. And of course, if you pick up that one artifact five times, you get plus 10 attack power, right? Um, so if you were to find five artifact books throughout your run and choose that, you would have plus 10 attack power. But when you go and spend your currency in between runs, you can unlock an artifact that gives you plus 10 attack power. So you can kind of just sidestep uh, having to get multiples of that. Or if you do get multiples of that plus 10 artifact, then you're super juiced at the very start of your run, and you can kind of invest in some other kooky abilities along the way. Cool. Um, so that sounds like a cool way to mix it up and give you some more decision points. Yeah, and I've seen some games kind of 
feature this sort of system as like an unlockable mode. In particular, uh, Risk of Rain 2 uh, has this sort of command function that allows you to pick whatever artifacts you're going to use. But that seems to be the sort of crux of this game. And as you kind of gain more... Uh, more currency you can unlock new heroes to play as who will kind of function better with certain kinds of builds and then also the heroes themselves can unlock new skills uh, through spending currency and you can actually do that during a run itself so you can change up your play style you can even change up uh, the sorts of abilities that you have equipped mid-run as well which I thought was pretty neat so there's a lot of neatish sorts of ideas but i i think this game is has been so heavily discounted because it doesn't really wow or thrill on an aesthetic level all that much and uh the character portraits and even the title card for the game uh, look very different from how the characters do uh, which is a very very simplistic pixel art style that doesn't communicate the weight or perhaps uh, epicness that one might expect mm. from uh, the, the sort of uh, scenarios that you're finding yourselves in. Um, and I also kind of like the music. It's cute. So Azure Break Heroes, it's a nice little distraction. Uh, it makes me appreciate some elements of roguelike design. And I, I did think that when I found some of these very specific artifacts, I, I said to myself, like, oh, I'm going to be able to break this game easily. But the later levels in the run are a whole lot more tough. And they do, they, your success in them is largely based on how smart you you plotted out your, your artifacts during your entire run. Mm. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, and so before we get into the other game that I've been playing, uh, Will, I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on roguelikes or roguelites. Do you have any opinions towards them? Um, I haven't played a lot, to be honest, and I don't I, like. I don't feel like they're quite my thing, um, but I don't dislike them if that makes sense. Like if, like Boyfriend Dungeon had some roguelike elements, and I enjoyed it. But I wouldn't seek seek a game out because it's a roguelike, if that makes sense. Like, if it's in a game and I'm interested and I'm going to play it, it's not going to turn me away, but I'm not going to go seeking it out either. I'm, I'm kind of well, ambivalent. They can be good <laughs> or they can be bad. Well, I've, I find that surprising, especially with you just having picked up Children of Morda, which I think in a lot of ways is a rogue light i guess um, and of course the the difference of between roguelike and roguelite is that uh, a roguelike kind of wipes your progression completely clean uh, in between runs while rogue lights allow you to kind of build up uh, a meta currency to improve your abilities or to make your chances of completing it even better um, but children of morda i would say is a, a rogue light with a lot of like traditional rpg sensibilities in its progression system which make it ultimately feel more like a actual rpg so mm -hmm. was that a recommendation from somebody or did it just pique your interest um just a game that i've heard a lot about and game pass so why not <laughs> <laughs> right let's dive the, in 
the power of game pass yeah and i think that's just part of my problem lately with getting into specific games is because i there are all these things like you like you talked about just picking up a game because it's on sale or you know because there's a subscription service there's just so many games that we can play at any moment that it's hard to focus sometimes it's i think the greatest time there ever has been to start a video game podcast because because there is so much variety but i think that can also be a pitfall um and with our content uh, the the content that we like to discuss we are definitely going to lean towards games that are much more of a time investment and Mm -hmm. so with these smaller games that can kind of break things up or maybe not even have a a really straightforward or simplistic ending to them which is with roguelikes in particular where things can get a little bit messy um i I think they can throw a wrench in, in some of our plans sometimes for sure um, but this kind of leads us into the last game that I wanted to talk about, which is a game called Going Under. Uh, Going Under is absolutely delightful. And it's a, I'm going to say, roguelite as well. Even though you lose a lot of your abilities um, and your power-ups that you've picked up in between runs, uh, there is the system of completing a dungeon in going under and then going on to a new dungeon with new challenges so i guess i should explain what this game is if you haven't heard of what going under is it is a tech startup or really just uh, a startup uh, or entrepreneurish video game simulator that's also roguelike Uh, so i'm not sure if you're familiar will with that absolutely nauseating corporate graphic art style with like the characters that are uh really simplistically designed and 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 have very um over exaggerated features and and such yeah like Um, the ones that are often used for like in stock images and things like that exactly yes i i think the stock image uh moniker is is a way better way to describe this well all of the characters in Going Under are illustrated in this style. And um, it's, on one hand, kind of arrestingly charming because the game is, it's a 3D uh, dungeon crawling game and the the 3D uh, designs are all just like very unsettling like the main character has these just like huge sausage arms for arms and sometimes if you get caught up against a wall you'll like zoom into her face and she's got like this thousand yard stare that's really (laughs) uncomfortable Um, but then also the character portraits are just really lovingly uh, you know brought to life in this weird uh, stock image sort of style but for some reason, the the game's artists really do make it work, and a lot of the character designs are very uh, endearing. But this game is about a uh, a startup, uh, a pop up sort of company that makes fizz drinks. Uh, that their headquarters was built on the ruins of other failed startups, <laughs> and so what you're doing is you're going into the basement to essentially kill the. Uh, 
un I don't want to say undead because they're really just kind of fantasy versions of uh, of corporate characters. You've got joblins, for example, uh, who are kind of like little impish interns that are running around. Um, and one of the first bosses that you fight is the caffeine, who is like a, a giant joblin who's hopped up on coffee. Um, but you are are clearing out these. Uh, the remnants of these startups so that your business can be more successful and you're an intern yourself at this uh, at this company so you are kind of doing the grunt work but the game is just bizarrely endearing and has a meta currency element to it Um, but all of the weapons that you use in the game are some of them are office themed and corporate themed you can use a stapler as a gun to to shoot individuals but you can also like ride around in a little cab and run people over Uh, it's an absolutely bizarre game but i love it the more and more that i play it and while i don't think it really fits all that well into a lot of what we consider to be like traditional rpg mechanics uh, it does have this sort of meta system where you can have a quote-unquote mentor, uh, as many corporate uh, or organizations do. And the more tasks that you complete for them, the higher their like mentorship level will go, and you can get greater benefits from them. And so it's like a quest-ish system built into a roguelike um, that I think works really, really well and adds to a sense of working towards specific goals and challenging yourself to complete them so that you can reap the benefits. And I think that is a really RPG-ish way of putting a twist on these sorts of games. And I sometimes worry that roguelikes uh, have become like the hot new thing because of the success of games like Hades. Um, You know, you hear about Children of Morda or um, have you ever played will um oh gosh what is the name of the shop based um uh moon moonlighter uh yeah moonlighter is no i've heard of that one no yeah it's like a dungeon crawling but also shop owning uh roguelike but i i worry that this genre is going to become tired pretty soon but every time i think that's going to be the case a game like going under pops up and i will say they are like once in a blue moon like comparing going under to azure break heroes they're they're really hard to compare because i think the quality of going under is is a lot higher in terms of aesthetics and design but when these like magical roguelikes do pop up it it makes me appreciate the genre a whole lot more that sounds really fun and going under sounds like the kind of roguelike i would be excited to play like i it sounds funny and just like a fun a fun time oh my god it is so funny and the sad thing is that it is it's so funny and just so cute um, but it's also like soul crushing too like some of the conversations that you have with your coworkers, uh and i wouldn't say that there's like a relationship system in it but you know there are npcs and mentors that you can talk to and as their mentor level goes up you you kind of complete a quest line and a storyline and you get to follow it with them and some of the things that they say to you are like yeah they're funny but 
it's sad funny because you realize that that's really how the corporate world does oh, work no. too true and uh yeah it's it's very disheartening but um it's it's a it's just a rare and and, and lovely visual treat that i had followed a great deal before it uh it released and all of the gameplay videos that i saw of it were just so disarmingly charming and if i could just uh point out one moment where i truly just laughed out loud and it was earlier today was i was doing a run and i picked up a uh, an ability which are called apps um in this game uh sort of like zines from boyfriend dungeon uh if you if you can make the connection well mm -hmm. um but i picked up an app and it was called tube you and the app logo obviously looks like a very particular website that many people have heard of but the the description for the app was when you need a distraction and i was like oh i wonder what this is and so in combat i activated it and it turned out to be just like a portable um you know those weird little arm waving blow up things yes. that you see outside of car car dealerships yes. it was one of those and it was just oh my goodness it's so funny and made me just die while i was also trying to not die <laughs> and uh, i think that's just the joy of video games right there that sounds super fun i'm uh, i'm really yeah. curious to check this one out because i mean yeah i would definitely re definitely recommend watching a trailer i'm gonna check this out after the show <laughs> great um well again i feel like part of this podcast is just me or us really <laughs> recommending games to one another and putting ourselves into uh deeper and deeper pits of a backlog yep uh, that's what it's all about but yeah maybe we should maybe we should avoid doing a, a, a what we're playing section to to avoid that it's just a trap uh, but moving on from that section, we're going to get right into our quests for this week. And uh, I think it's good that I'm going first with my quests because it's a topic that I could talk a whole lot about, but I don't really feel like I, I want to. So let's get right into it. Right. I am at uh, spot number 14 on our quest board, which is an RPG or an RPG series uh, that you could just never get into. And I mean gosh where to start with me <laughs> um i think the easiest answers that i can give for this are again answers that are probably going to upset uh you know hardcore rpg fans so why not get them out of the way really early on so that maybe i can change uh over the course of this podcast or maybe i can give them a try in the future but this one is actually a series that I've tried to get into multiple times. And I've talked about spin-offs um, of this series or this franchise that I have enjoyed, but mainline titles, it's a little bit tougher. So based on that, Will, what do you think I'm going to talk about? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It could be anything. <laughs> I think based on what I've said so far on the podcast, some people might think I'm going to go right into Final Fantasy, but no. Instead, I'm going to go in another direction that is still Square Enix-based. 
which is Ooh. Dragon Quest. And I will say I've played the Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest Monsters games, and I've enjoyed those. But I have played, gosh, I'm going to say I've played Dragon Quest six, nine, and nope, I actually think that's it. Six, nine, and maybe maybe one or three um, at different points in my life, and I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. And the thing that's frustrating to me about Dragon Quest is that it's an RPG, right? Mm-hmm. It's got Akira Toriyama, the maker of Dragon Ball, who whose art style I love making all of the monster designs and character designs. It's like sword and shield fantasy. Why don't I love this series? <laughs> it's really, really frustrating to me, but I think the reason that it always comes back to is that I love RPGs that are more, I don't want to say complex, but are maybe just more contemporary than this one, um, in that a lot of Dragon Quest's design is very tried and true and classic and unchanged. And yes, um, like I've played six and six is a very traditional dragon quest sort of title and i've also played nine which had like a co-op system that sort of changed things up but didn't really and i also should say i do own dragon quest eight um i own the 3ds version of it and i haven't played it yet partially because i'm a little scared to um, I do hear that some people say that 8 is like a really great entry point, and of course a lot of people say that 11 is too. But ultimately I look at these games and I see them as like very episodic in terms of their storylines and very, very grindy. And while the grind can be something that I think is great, uh, I also think that you have to be a very particular kind of gamer Oh, gosh. Um, I just used the G word. (laughs) Um, You need to be a a very particular kind of video game enthusiast, uh, which has a much less negative sounding uh, spin on it, uh, to enjoy certain kinds of grinds. And while I enjoy a grind like Monster Hunter, which has a lot of like kinetic energy and sometimes chance in the best and worst ways, but is also about like making your character look super cool which in older uh, dragon quest games you don't really get to see that all that much Um, dragon quest is just really grindy with a really really straightforward turn-based battle system so part of me says hey maybe the next dragon quest will be the one that really shakes up the formula because it's going to have, you know, apparently a more mature sort of storyline uh, content and it's going to have some changes to the battle system. But um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that seems like like it could happen, but I really doubt it. Yeah, and so ultimately I'm just kind of left wondering to myself, like, have I bounced off of this series enough times to, like, have learned my lesson? Should I just stick to the, like, spinoffs? Because, like, a part of me is kind of curious about Dragon Quest Builders. 
Um, and there's another part of me that like sees some of their other spinoffs and I kind of think they're neat too, but I, I have not found that game that's from this series that has truly gripped me and yeah, I maybe just never will. And there's actually one other element that I can talk about in just a second. Um, but I guess I first want to toss it over to you because I feel like I've been talking about this a whole lot. What are your thoughts on Dragon Quest, Will? Um, I'm over here nodding a lot because I think you bring up a lot of good points and like getting more familiar with your tastes, I totally see. Like To me, Dragon Quest is the JRPG series that is like the most bread and butter, the most vanilla, like... Ed- like yeah. when I think of what is a <laughs> like fundamental JRPG with nothing on top, it's Dragon Quest. And I really enjoy Dragon Quest. I and yeah, I would say I really enjoy Dragon Quest, but I don't love it because it is missing that extra thing to get me excited about it. Uh, because it's fun, it's addictive, it's really satisfying, but it never quite feels special to me. And a couple of the games in the series have felt special to me specifically eight which you brought up and five and honestly i would say give eight a try if you feel like it since you already have it but don't (laughs) expect anything super different but five honestly like i feel like five could be one that not converts you to liking dragon quest overall but like i feel like you might enjoy five itself because it has some like the story is a little more interesting it goes different places it it diverts based on your decisions and can go in different ways um there's some cool stuff going on there's monster catching actually happening so it gets a little more complex in terms of the battle mechanics so if you ever get a chance to play five i think it's quite expensive now to play it on 3ds or anything or ds maybe um but i feel like that one could be worth checking out yeah and you know again being someone who is in in the discourse uh, who's on social media looking at people's opinions and seeing images shared of people's favorites and such i do hear that i mean i i've heard very often that four five and six are are very much a, a a beloved trilogy but you know the classics two one two and three are are great in their own way um, but in their own way, as uh, yeah. as like kind of a, a unified trilogy, and you know, also people really love seven uh, and eight, um, and you know, s- some people love nine for its its per- particular quirks too. So, you know, I, but I I do see five brought up a whole lot. I f- I see five, I see seven, I see eight, and I see eleven, and I. <laughs> Again, I I think I should really try to give this one more try, but if it's if it's really not something that I vibe with, I think that's that's going to be the the final nail in the coffin for me. There is also one other you know element of the series that's really frustrating to me, and it is the localization uh, is so infuriating to me, um, like. I think I've been, I have already stated on this podcast that I can accept camp, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think it needs to be good camp. And I think it needs to be like 
tame or reined in and some of the localization for these games is so like it bludgeons you over the head with text-based accents and yes those sometimes voice acting yeah and then even like just these absurd little like quirks and you know on one hand i like shin megami tensei and i love it when jack frost says he ho so like am i really any better but on the other hand i i feel like you have to have been inundated into this like cult at a young age to really appreciate some of the things that they continue to do and like part of me wants them to just stop and make a dragon quest game that just plays it a little bit more straight but i think ultimately that's what so many people love about this series is that it is goofy and silly and sort of by the numbers and basic and there are a lot of people out there who need rpg comfort food and i totally get it because i have some games like that so that's i i will never not appreciate this series for its place in the the timeline and the the chronology of rpgs i think it's you know been a landmark in so many different ways and it's been so frustrating even like as someone who's not even all that much of a fan it's been frustrating to see square enix like really hold back on bringing this series to the west for a while and to go back to like my previous comments they could market it and be like hey this is the guy who draws dragon ball z like making a fantasy rpg yeah (laughs) how could you not like this because there's such a huge uh audience for that i think in the west but i unfortunately am not one of them and so that is gonna be my rpg series that i've just never gotten into wow there you have it that's a great answer and i can totally see like i can see why you picked it and i think it's totally not an evan series because (laughs) it doesn't do new things and i know like you don't get sucked in by franchises because you're excited by like new things that one specific game does and how they've evolved the conversation of games and dragon quest does not do that and it like i feel like if you've played one in a sense you've played them all yeah and it's like again you see a lot of games try to iterate in new ways Mm -hmm. and uh, to go to go back to uh, you know a series that i do love which is the the xenoblade like currently trilogy that exists right um i almost sometimes i find it hard to go back to and i was finding it hard to go back to playing the definitive edition of the original game because I've played, and I'm a little bit ashamed to admit it, but I've played 400 hours of Xenoblade 2, and I love that combat. And I probably wouldn't love that combat if I hadn't played the previous two Xenoblade Mm -hmm. games and seen how combat changed in those games. And yeah, there are elements elements of, of that series that I think I wish would change, but there is this one draw that that is different and is appealing to me yeah it's growing and changing and evolving and trying new things and even if they don't work like at least there's that right and then you have this like the 
the benefit of trying new things is that sometimes they fail, but sometimes they succeed. And that makes the success that much more exciting when you see something, oh, it's working here. Like someone tried it before and it didn't work, but now like I get it. This is what this mechanic or whatever was trying to do in this other game. Exactly. But Dragon yeah. Quest is and... like, no, let's just like make the graphics a little better, make it bigger. Yeah, and to be fair, the turn-based battle system and the the job systems and the overall combat of those games, it functions. Mm-hmm. Like it works. It's serviceable. Uh, but I I don't know. I want more than that. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you understand where I'm coming from. But let's take this opportunity while I have settled on my negative thoughts to pivot over to your quest, Will. All right, let's... Would you mind, would you mind just uh, telling the audience once again what your quest was? Yeah, mine is another uh, kind of negative one, which doesn't have to be, but I think I'm going to make it kind of negative, um, which cool. is number 21, a non- non-RPG you think does not qualify as an RPG. So, like, that that's not intrinsically negative to say something's not an RPG, because there's tons of games that, well, not that I like, but that other people like that aren't RPGs. <laughs> Most of the games I like are RPGs. So it's not negative to say something's not an RPG, but the way I'm going to take it, I think kind of it is a negative in a sense. So I thought about talking about Zelda, of course, because we've always talked about Zelda, um, but I think we covered that one pretty well in one of our either the first episode or somewhat sometime early on i think we we went through that one pretty well yes most definitely yeah, so i wanted to think of something that's a little different and to challenge myself and my own thinking and it was really hard like after zelda like i was like maybe zelda nope and then i just kept coming back to it in my head because it's such a great <laughs> example and talking point but Um, What I eventually came up with, and I know I've tried to pick games and not series for these in the past because we've talked about games versus series, but it's kind of a series in this case, and that series is, drumroll, Assassin's Creed. Okay. So when I... Well... Yeah. (laughs) When I, fr- I can definitely see where you're coming from with this. Yeah, when I first thought of it, I was like, this is going to be a hot take. And then the more I thought of it, I was like, no, I think I can explain it. Like, I I think it's pretty grounded. Um, and so, like, the Assassin's Creed series started off definitely not as an RPG. It was, like, stealth action and, like, this parkour element. And I played... I haven't played all of them, but from the beginning, like I started with the first one and played um, one, two, three, four, and then Origins, the Egypt one was the last one I played. Um, Wow. Well, I got to say, as somebody who only played four, that was like my introduction to the Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed series. That was that was enough Assassin's Creed for me, I think, for maybe a lifetime. So kudos to you yeah i got burnt out as well but i played (laughs) more of them and and yeah i think i don't know exactly i feel like four is when the rpg mechanics really started to take hold and i was really into it and enjoying like upgrading weapons and assigning skill points and things like that um well i don't know if there are skill points in four there are there there are oh no i'm i don't know i'm asking 
I don't remember. Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't seem. I, I mean, I remember the like upgrading uh, abilities and equipment and such, yeah. but I think okay, I think I really this... I'm talking about upgrading equipment. I remember very vividly in that yeah. one. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is exciting. Sure. Like, it feels like an RPG. Um, yeah. And then each game after that has added more RPG elements. Like, like yeah, like, well, actually, I don't know if skill points is right. But, like, yeah, ability, gaining new abilities as you level up, choosing different trees to be more stealthy, right. more um, hand-to-hand combat, uh, better with different weapons, and that kind of thing. And like now you can you actually have like levels and you level up and your stats increase i think like i assume they do because you get better at killing things um (laughs) but the stat element isn't really visible i don't think could be wrong on that one but it's not really like front and center like where you see like your stats when you level up and then assign skill points and that kind of thing um so there are a lot of rpg Um, elements to the game but the more and more i thought about it i don't think that these elements make it an rpg i think they're just added on top of it especially because the series like adds has been adding a new kind of rpg element each with each new game and maybe eventually it will become an rpg but i don't think it is now and i have not played valhalla so i cannot 100 percent say that with that one but um, up through um, Odyssey, I would say I still agree with this point. I have not played Odyssey myself, but I've been watching my partner play it for the past six months or so, um, which has been a long grind in itself. But it just, like, I think what my point comes down to is that the, the pieces don't add up to a whole. I think for sure it has elements of an RPG. Like we talked about, Zelda has some elements of an RPG as well. But the mechanics are added on top of the game itself. And here's what it really comes down to for me, is that if you took away these elements, the game would still be the same. It would still play the same. It would be just like the original, where you're running around assassinating people. And and like there is some choice in gameplay choice which i think is more fundamentally rpg like than some of the other mechanics actually where you can choose if you're going to be stealthy to take something out like a target or if you're going to just run in guns blazing and that almost is more rpg like to me at a fundamental level like choosing the way you play the game than these other mechanics that are added on top does that make sense it does. And so the maybe comparison I would make, and to be honest, I, I will say like at one point during this week, I like almost thought that this was my quest and I kind of had like a little bit of a moral panic. Uh-oh. I was like, oh God, like aside from Zelda, what can I, what can I bring into this mm-hmm. conversation? Um, but, I, and I think that this is a great answer too, but one idea that I had in my head was this genre that I guess has kind of risen um, in maybe not popularity or even the it, it hasn't the number of these games hasn't increased, but it's definitely become a lot more visible in recent years, which is this whole 
sort of game known as like or game genre known as immersive sims and when i think of games like that one that comes to mind is the dishonored series which has you have these scenarios that unfold and it's it's like sort of thief-ish but you can you can approach the scenario in any way that you want Mm -hmm. and so it's immersive in this way that like you are accomplishing a very specific goal but you can do it in a whole like hugely uh, a, a huge just variety of of ways but ultimately you're you're following a story and with assassin's creed like again to me and and it, it comes back to like the sort of instance with zelda is that no matter how you sort of no matter what way you approach a scenario, you're still ultimately playing the role of a very particular kind of character. And the other stuff that is involved or is like surrounding that idea is often just like background noise. And so that's like really what I see a whole lot with the sort of skill progression systems in the more recent uh, Assassin's Creed games, which I can't believe there's been three now, which is Origins, Odyssey, and uh, Valhalla, right? Yep. But th- like the improvements that you're making to your overall ability to play the game are so minuscule that it's it's not empowering in any way, and it's ultimately not going to change how you're going to play that character. Yes. And so, <laughs> sorry, um, is, is that kind of what you're getting at? Exactly, yeah. Like, I think, like you said, like, they don't feel like they're meaningful. They feel like they're just tacked on because maybe some focus group that played a beta version of the game liked them <laughs> or said, I wish this was an RPG. And they're like, oh, okay, let's just, like, add in some, like, a leveling system. And then they right, added and- it. I think this also goes back to it's a conversation we had really early on in this podcast, which is RPG systems are great at extending the life of a game. They just are. Uh, and that's like partial, partially the like, uh, a, I don't want to say a fault in the design because it's one of the elements that we love about RPGs, but sometimes it doesn't really have a place in certain kinds of games. And they they could almost like maybe remove some of the bloat and still make it a perfectly fine game. Like I have a friend who's playing through Valhalla and has been playing through it. I mean, I don't know. I think that game came out maybe mid to late uh, 2020. That sounds uh, right. Uh, but he's been playing it since then. And he's like, yeah, I have this many hours in it and i still feel like i haven't seen everything and i probably won't see everything and he loves that element of it but he also like there are literally parts of the game that he can't experience because he needs to complete 50 something more hours of just like unlocking new abilities to even be good enough to play that and i feel like it's like obfuscating the initial goal of the game itself which is i mean assassin's creed you're supposed to be an assassin yeah 
And that's one of the <laughs> things that has bothered me about recent games too is that as they've added this leveling system, you can be underleveled now and you can like jump off a building and use the hidden blades to like stab someone in the neck and then they just like walk away and attack you because you're too weak. And it's like that doesn't make sense. The blade is still the same blade and I jumped off a building with force and like I think those are the the pieces that really turn me away from the series when I was enjoying it before. Yeah, I I would say the 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 feeling of performing a kill in sort of the classic Assassin's Creed formula was so much more satisfying because it was a kill. And now with the RPG systems they've added into it, it has gotten in the way of you even feeling satisfaction for that initial idea. Yeah. And it does just feel like bloat because it feels like you only notice it when you're not strong enough or when you're too low of a level to take on the next story quest and you have to go like hunting for like busy work to level up right and so you know to to bring back uh xenoblade x right that game is open world and i will say that there are areas where you might be a little bit under leveled um, but you can go to the one corner of the map from the very start of the game and the enemies there are of a certain level that yes you could you know potentially kill them if you swam x amount of uh minutes over to that landmass um an, an open world game is designed so that certain areas might be less accessible but they're not inaccessible right. i suppose and to me a, a lot of this this bloat this bloated design really does feel like it is for the sake of making you keep playing mm-hmm. just so you can even access that content that's not fun and yeah i mean uh, listen there are probably some people who are listening to this podcast and they're saying like well you know why would i want to go traverse over to this area at the start of i don't know dragon quest 11 like it doesn't make any sense but that game and the, the choices and the, the character building that it's offering you are are very different in their design than what's going on with the Assassin's Creed formula. And this might maybe just be like a soapbox thing that both you and I agree <laughs> on. Um, but I, I definitely, I get exactly what you're saying with this series. And, you know, again, I, I do think that there are, there I, I mean, why does Assassin's Creed? Uh, sorry, why does Assassin's Creed have these systems? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably because games like Skyrim are have been successful, and they've looked at the ability to unlock more things and said, "Hey, we can make our game like this in its own way." Right. Um, and you know, to, to go back to your example of uh, four, which is assassin's creed uh black flag right like i could see this element kind of creeping in with the the ship building system and like making your pirate ship a better pirate ship and sometimes it was like a different kind of pirate ship but ultimately it was just a pirate ship and again i feel that these these games 
are still about the same fundamental thing, which is being a part of, and maybe it's not being an assassin, like the in-universe idea of an assassin, but it's taking part in this assassin story, this Assassin's Creed story, um, and all of this other fluff is is really just it's not helping right yeah i think that's that's the main point it's extra (laughs) any other thoughts about this or or maybe just any other ideas that you had or i mean i'm kind of exhausted just thinking about this series (laughs) me too i think i'm done (laughs) i think yeah the main point is just that these things are added on and and attaching elements to something doesn't make it fundamentally that thing it just means they're they're stuck on yeah and it's so funny too because i i do really feel that the assassin's creed series has always been an evolution of prince of persia yes which was a lot about like free running and movement and some combat too but ultimately was more about like being able to to traverse an environment and i really do feel that once this series kind of really nailed down the environmental like movement element they were like okay well what else can we deepen now to like keep players coming back for more and it became progression systems and they did all the wrong things yes exactly (laughs) but You know, I will also say that, again, my friend has been very much enjoying Valhalla for those reasons. So to all of you who maybe do find this series appealing, that's great. And I do agree with you, Will, that, like, maybe someday we will look at the next Assassin's Creed and say, like, you know what? This is an RPG. Like, it's it's gotten to this point where, uh, where it makes sense. But I also think that they would need to refine some of these systems a great deal. Yeah, I think there needs to be some kind of fundamental shift that would make that happen. But I think it's very possible that it could happen if that's, since they keep growing, like maybe that's where they're headed. Here's hoping, right? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, But with that, I guess that's kind of the end of our, our, our questing section, which does mean that we need to hopefully right move onwards and upwards from yes here. let's stop going downwards uh so i think we are going to transfer over into our uh our, our taking on new quests section so i am going to be rolling first and rolling first does of course mean that uh, i need to look back at where i am on the uh, quest board so i'm at number 14 right now please Oh, please, give me a good roll. I would really like a nice roll. I rolled a four, uh, which does mean... (laughs) Oh, oh my. I've... (laughs) I I now get to... uh, I I get to do the inverse of my original roll. I'm so excited. My quest is an underrated JRPG that you've played interesting i like that turn maybe maybe this is the upswing for me will maybe it is finally gonna become the positive rpg co-host that i always was meant to be this is the moment all right got this (laughs) okay i'm gonna roll now i'm at 21 
And maybe I will go downward. Who, who knows? No, you can't go in the opposite <gasps> direction. I did get a one. Oh, wow. That's it. So you're catching up. That is an action RPG with good mechanics. Interesting. Cool. cool I like cool. it because action RPGs are one of those things that are kind of at the fringes of my experience and something I feel like I'm always trying to find ones that click with me. So it's it's an area of curiosity that I'm excited to explore more. Yeah, this is wild because this is almost like episode... Well, first off, uh, this is episode six. <laughs> That's um, right, it is. We we had said uh, at some point last last week recording we were gonna like point out that our last episode had been episode five, mm-hmm. but <laughs> here we are. We're doing we, it now, right? But now moving into episode seven, we're almost having like a callback to the first uh, quest uh, that we went on uh, in episode two. So I'm doing underrated JRPGs, and you're gonna be talking about action RPGs. I talked about overrated JRPGs, and you talked about action uh, RPGs as your subgenre. Here we go. We're going right back. It's all coming together. It is. Like, we planned this. Uh, but with with our roles out of the way and our quests done and dusted, we're going to move into the end of our uh, podcast, which means we're just going to talk about some plugs and maybe anything that we are that we feel is of note. So, uh, Will, do you want to take it away for us? For sure. Um, You can always find the show on Twitter at RPGPodQuest. And you can also send us an email at RPGPodQuest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our quests, any ideas that you have, or anything else you'd like to share. And you can also find the podcast itself on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can find me, Will, at Cosmic X Library on Twitter. What about you, Evan? Yes, definitely. You can also find me at RPGSEB. Uh, RPG Seb? No. Um, <laughs> but that is my uh, handle on Twitter. And I think that is just about uh, everything that we have to plug. Um, You know, again, we have a quest board that you can follow along with. And if you want to truly keep pace or keep progressing at our clip, if you send in an email, uh, if you give us a mention on any of the topics that you're covering for your own quest, or if you just hear something uh, that one of us has said that you want to comment on as well, please, we encourage you to send us some email um, or reach out to us on, on social media because we are really enjoying this experience. Well, at least I am. Um, but we'd love to. <laughs> we'd love to have you along on our quest. Uh, so, again, please do uh, contribute if you'd like. All right. That well, about think... does it for today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, with that all uh, out of the way, let's head off, Will, onto our next quests. Onward and upward. Is that going to become our thing? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, (laughs) see you around, everybody.